0: Welcome to the Alpha Ministries podcast. Alpha Ministries is a recovery church whose mission is to teach individuals and institutions to recognize and apply the gospel of grace, building stronger families and communities. Today's podcast is focused on one of the 12 steps of AA. John Glenn taught the steps to the church because Alpha Ministries contends that all people need recovery from something. And the twelve steps is the best program out there and mostly reflects the idea of discipleship and relationship Jesus had in mind. Enjoy and glean from the messages.
1: The eleventh step says that we made a conscious choice to improve our conscious, we made a choice to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him now in the big book they've got as we understood him in parentheses in the step and the reason for that is they want to emphasize again that this step step 11 is a very spiritual step and therefore lends itself to religiosity it lends itself to being abused religiously and so they of course tacked on the little phrase God as you understand him And then they suggest that we pray only for knowledge of God's will and the power to carry that out. So step 11 is really kind of a generic um, reminder of the spiritual nature of the 12 steps. As we go through all the 12 steps, there's a spiritual component that we've identified all along, a biblical component that we've tried to expound on in each step. But tonight, what I want us to look at in particular on this session of the 11th step, is that understanding that you have personally, the awareness that you gain personally, or, as I might call it, the enlightenment that you receive personally from God. This is a critical aspect of maintaining our sobriety. Steps 10, 11, and 12 sometimes are referred to as the maintenance steps. In other words by the time you get to step 11 you've already uh, really conquered the problem of addiction In step 11 actually beginning in step 8 you're entering into a new lifestyle of recovery by the time you get to step 10 as we noted in our last session alcohol is not a real problem for you anymore drugs are not a real problem for you that's not the real issue in your life you're not wandering around all day long white in it, hoping that you won't use drugs or alcohol today. That's not, the, that's not the way you're living a lifestyle of recovery. A lifestyle of recovery means you've moved beyond that focus and obsession on the drugs and alcohol. You've moved beyond that to a genuine lifestyle of loving others, an important lifestyle, a lifestyle that is exciting, a lifestyle that is rewarding, that is satisfying, that all of those promises given at the end of chapter, or or step nine, rather, all those promises are becoming alive in your life. So it's a new lifestyle. So the addiction issues that you had prior, the drugs and alcohol problems, so to speak, that we had prior are really no longer an issue anymore. It's a lot more important to you to figure out who you're gonna love and how you're gonna love them. It's a lot more important to you to establish your relationship with others in a healthy way, to be of service to them. And so when we get to step 11, actually we're praying for the knowledge of God's will and the power to carry that out in our lives on a daily basis. So we've actually turned the corner. Let me diagram this again for you on the board just so we can get back on the same page as far as our recovery goes. If you've done the first three steps in the 12 steps, steps one through three, you've established a relationship between you and God. And we can call that relationship, that vertical relationship between you and God. We can use different terms for it. But let's just, let's throw in, just if you will kind of humor me here, I want to use some religious terms, all right? If you've done step one through three, you're born again. If you've done step one through three, you've become a Christian. If you've done steps one through three, you've actually had a spiritual awakening that AA talks about, or a spiritual experience between you and God that's personal with you. Now, the implications of that, biblically, we've emphasized all through our study, and particularly in reference to uh, the Alpha Series information, what I try to tell you is what has happened to you, this this new person that you became in steps one through three. When you recognized you were powerless, with an authentic faith that a power greater than you could restore you to sanity, and you turned your will and your life over to the care of God as you understood him, you're born again. In Christian terminology, you've become a Christian. Now, what happened to you biblically at that point was in that relationship that is established, that vertical relationship between you and God, God did something as well. He made you a brand new person. He created you a brand new person in Christ Jesus. Again, time fails us here to be able to expound on this. I could take weeks or months just to talk about this subject, what I call the heart of the gospel, but the point is this. And when you do those first three steps, you are no longer the same person you thought, you've always thought of yourself as being. According to the scripture, according to the Bible, in those first three steps, you became a brand new person. Like it says in 2 Corinthians 5, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. You're a brand new creature with a new destiny, but also a new past. This brand new person you are, however, is living in the same old physical body that we've had all our lives, the same body we were born with. And as we shared when we talked about steps four through seven in particular, in this same old body, this same old physical body, with the brand new person God has made you to be, is all the leftover conditioning of how you've run your life, your entire life, all that old conditioning the Bible calls the flesh, which is, by the way, dysfunctional, and enmity against God. So here you are a brand new person living in the same physical body with the flesh and there's this war, this inner conflict going on inside. Now steps one through three gives you the good news that you are a brand new person despite the fact that you have this internal conflict or study or or stress within your life that we've studied about. So We go on to steps four through seven to deal with that inner conflict that we've got. Steps four through seven tells us how, practically, the early founders of AA actually dealt with their inner turmoil and their inner conflict when the new person they were wanted to quit drinking. But that flesh, the mind of the flesh, that old conditioning of an alcoholic they had was constantly tempting them and leading them to drink. So they had this constant conflict going on inside. Well, their experience in step four, laying out and being honest about that personal inventory. Step five, confessing it to God, yourself, and another human being. Step six, being entirely ready to have God remove that conflict. And step seven, humbly asking him to remove it you have effectively dealt with what the Bible calls your flesh. Now, those steps four through seven are vital, vital steps of recovery. But once you've accomplished these steps up to four through seven, you've essentially already now prepared to enter in personally into a lifestyle of recovery. Steps eight and nine allow you to turn the corner and concern your relationship to others. Particularly, what we're interested in in steps eight and nine is you making amends. So step eight, you're going to go back and refer back to the list that you made in step four of the individuals that you may have harmed and be willing to make amends with them. Step nine, you're going to make amends with them as God leads you. And as the opportunity presents itself, you're actually going to make amends and heal those relationships with others. Now, there are many, many things we could talk about along that line. In fact, I'm going to refer you, just like I did uh, in the vertical relationship between you and God, I referred you to the Alpha series. In this horizontal relationship between you and others, I'm going to refer you to a new book that I'm publishing right now called Power to Love. It's a relational empowerment series and it'll tell you much, much more information about how you actually have the power to love other people like Christ and how you can actually get the job done when it comes to making amends with other people. Now, here we have turned the corner and done steps eight and nine, and as I session, step 10, you've entered a new lifestyle. And all of these steps, steps one through three, four through seven, eight and nine, all of them are flowing together. They're all one, one experience in your life. It's called a lifestyle. So in order to maintain that lifestyle, eight and nine are going to be continuously done. We start with step 10, which was we continued. That's the operative term there in in the 10th step. We continued. Continued what? Well, they said to take this moral inventory, they went back as far as as step four, but I'm going to suggest that you go a little further back. We continue all these steps on a daily basis. So they become a habit. They become um, not a habit in the negative sense, but habitual in the positive sense, which means you do them without having to force yourself. They become a way of living. They become a way of life. Just like getting up in the morning and getting dressed and brushing your teeth, combing your hair, taking a bath. It's just a daily kind of living life experience. It's not a real big deal to do these nine steps, but it is vital for you to enter into a lifestyle of recovery. Now we're talking, how do we maintain this lifestyle when we get to step 11? And this is the importance that I want you to see in step 11. Step 11 says it's going to be maintained by improving our conscious contact with God. You see, our higher power, our God, is the one who has let us recover. It's the one who has made us a brand new person. It's the one, he's the one who actually deals with all the conflict and all the issues that we had in steps 4 through 7. He's the answer to them. All the conflicts and all the problems. He's the one that empowers us to be able to love others like Christ. He's the one that allows us to actually be Christ to other people. And so step 11 rightly tells us to maintain a close connection. Now, in order to tie it in with some other information you may be familiar with, if you're not, I want to refer you again to that book called The Power to Love, or what I call the Relational Empowerment Series, especially a chapter on spiritual enlightenment. Spiritual enlightenment is one of those personal skills that I identify in the Relational Empowerment Series known as Power to Love. There's a chapter in there called Spiritual Enlightenment, and it's the last of four personal skills. All it means, spiritual enlightenment means that God through his spirit is speaking to you now I know this may sound a little strange in our secular society I know that we've become a secular society rather than a quote Christian society even though we still have a semblance of Christianity we have become by and large secular which means we leave God out of everything leave God out of public square, we leave God out of schools, we leave God out of everything. We are now secular. And in a secular society, this concept of step 11 is generally found to be abhorrent to most people. Most people conditioned and trained under a secular society would be aghast if you would tell them, listen, God talks to me. They would look at you, are you crazy? Are you weird? God talks to you? Nah, he doesn't talk to you. He can't talk to you. He doesn't talk to me. And we've bought into this lie of a secular society that God is not a personal God who wants to talk to you. He's some kind of impersonal form or force out there in the universe, if he exists at all, that doesn't doesn't really want to talk to you personally. That's a lie. Now, the reason I know that's a lie is because of what God himself says, written down black and white in his word. You see, this this book, the Bible, is hard for people to to come to grips with. Uh, I did a little study on it, and I'm not gonna spend a long time on this, but I wanna wanna introduce you to a concept here of this being a miraculous book. It's a miraculous thing. As a matter of fact, it's so miraculous, just think about the chances, accidentally, Just think of the fact that there are 66 books or letters in this collection called the Bible written by 66 different authors, or 60 some different authors, over a period of 1,600 years. Not just 100 years, 1,600 years. There's some 60 different authors writing, and it's gathered together in one book that has no contradictions in it and a common theme. Now, the chances of that happening by accident are extraordinary. It's it's kind of like, I heard uh, a fellow tell me one time, It was like if you were flying over the Atlantic Ocean from New York to Europe and you dropped a wedding ring out of the airplane somewhere in the mid-Atlantic, the chances of you finding that wedding ring on the bottom of the ocean somewhere are greater than the chances of a book like this coming into existence you've got more of a chance of finding a wedding ring dropped out of an airplane over the Atlantic Ocean than a book like this happening by accident. It doesn't happen by accident. Now, there are many other proofs, not only external, but internal proofs. I'm not going to get into all that with you. I'm just going to simply say this. If we accept the Bible as the word of God, then we can accept the testimony of God himself written down in black and white about his wanting to talk to you. You see, God preserved this specifically so he could talk with you. And a lot of what God has to say to you is written down in black and white. never changes. It's preserved. And a lot of what he has to say to you is included. Now, not everything, not every issue in your life. In fact, a vast majority of the important issues to you, you can't find any biblical reference to at all. Like what kind of job you're going to work in, or what kind of house you're going to live in, or what kind of car you're going to drive. Those kinds of decisions, you're not going to find anything in the Bible about that. But that's not what the Bible's for. What the Bible's for is a revelation of a personal relationship that God has with you. What the Bible is for, it's not a book of rules, by the way, even though there are a lot of laws and rules in it, it's not a rule book or a book of instruction. It's a revelation concerning this relationship, this vertical relationship between you and God. That's what this Bible is about. The theme of it, of course, is the one who made this relationship between you and God possible, and that is Jesus Christ, and what he did to make it possible for you to be one with God, to be this brand new person. That's the theme of the Bible. From cover to cover, you'll find it everywhere. Now, an important statement that Jesus himself made concerning the 11th step is this. In reference, talking with his arguing, he was actually arguing with the religious leaders of his day, he told them point blank in John chapter 10, my sheep hear my voice. They hear me. And they know me. And I call them by name i know them you see what we've described in those first three steps is a personal relationship you have with god now i know when you start out it's kind of vague it's kind of general but i want you to think of it as being a, a relationship with any other person even though you, you at first when you get introduced to them you don't know much about them you don't know where they came from you don't know what they like dislike etc you still have a relationship yeah it's vague and yes it's general and it's just an acquaintance to start with But you have a relationship. And as you grow in that relationship, you learn more about them. But the primary way you grow is in communicating with them, talking with them. When you take the time to sit down and talk with someone, you're gonna develop a relationship. And that relationship is sustained by the communication that you have. Jesus said, point blank, John chapter 10, my sheep hear my voice. People have trouble. They with can it. hear me. Not just the now, secular I know after people. After 37 world, years, Pastor. Christian people often have trouble. They say, "Well, I know I'm supposed to be able to hear God, but I have trouble hearing Him." Again, I want to refer you to that chapter in Spiritual Enlightenment on that series, but I want to at least hit the highlights with you right now by suggesting to you three barriers that keep us from hearing God and trying to remove those barriers in your mind right now. The very first barrier that keeps us from hearing God, perceiving what he's telling us in our minds, is we don't think, we don't really believe that he's talking to us. Like I said a little while earlier, we grew up in a secular society. We are bombarded with this secularism that says, this. by the way, that's a Secular humanism is a religion. Did you know that? Oh yes, it's it's very much religious. It's perhaps more religious than Christianity. Certainly more religious than fundamental uh, basic Christianity, true Christianity, but it's its own religion and secular humanism says you can't hear God. He's not personal. And we've bought into that lie, so we get the idea that God's not talking to us. For whatever reason we get this idea, that God is not going to talk to us, he hasn't talked to us, he never will talk to us, and if he talks to anybody or anyone says that he's heard from God, we view them as being suspect. Well, the very first thing, then, we have to do to get rid of that barrier is to realize that God is talking to you, and he's always talking to you. Romans, chapter 8, verse 14. Paul makes this statement. He says, For as many as are the sons of God... That's the full-grown children of God, the adult children of God. They are led by the Spirit. And you could turn around, turn that around. If you're led by the Spirit, you're the Son of God. Now, let's put you into the equation here. Here you are. In those first three steps in your recovery program, you developed a relationship with God. You became an adult child of God. You became one of his family. You are born of the Spirit and you are adopted by God into his family. Therefore, if you're a child of God, you're led by the Spirit continuously. By the way, that's written in the present tense in the Greek, which means you're continuously being led by the Spirit. That means God's talking to you all the time. He's talking to you all the time. Now, I know you have trouble with that concept because like most of us who've struggled over the years, not only with our secular humanism background, but we've also struggled to really identify the voice of God. And so when I tell you he's talking to you all the time, it doesn't make a lot of sense to you. But think of it this way. Right now, in this room, this room is filled with all different kinds of music. Can you hear it? So I don't hear nothing. I don't hear any music here. Notice George Weasel's little music on the tape right at this point, uh, on the CD. You're not gonna hear any music. What do you mean this room is filled with music? Well, the music is being broadcast. All I'd have to do is get a little radio, a little transistor radio here, and turn it on and tune it in. And when I got on the same frequency as that radio station, All of a sudden, I'd hear the music. Now, when I turned the radio on, it didn't produce the music, did it? It just received the music that was already here, and I could hear it. You see, God is continually leading you. He is continually speaking to you. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. He is continually speaking to you. Whether you hear it or not, is a matter of you tuning in not a matter of whether he's talking or not. So the first barrier we've got to get over is the fact that he is talking. He is speaking to you. He is leading you. He is directing your life personally. He is concerned about you. Now, there are many, many examples of this in the scripture. I'm not going to take the time, but one thing that that uh, keeps coming back to my mind that I want to share with you about this is Jesus constantly was telling his disciples, using various analogies to tell them about this concept, and what he was saying, in essence, was that God is always, always, always talking with you. He's speaking to you. Now, the second comes into play. If God's already talking to us, why don't we hear him? He goes on in Romans chapter 8, verse 15 to say for we have not received again the spirit of bondage again unto fear but the spirit of adoption whereby we cry Abba Father now this brings up the second great obstacle that keeps us from hearing God clearly on a daily basis that blocks that conscious contact we're wanting to improve with God And that is simply fear. Particularly the fear of failure or the fear of rejection. You see, we don't hear what God is telling us a lot of times because we think he's going to talk to us about something that he's not talking about. I have a lot of trouble hearing folks talk in certain circumstances ever since... Years ago I got struck by lightning while I was building some fence and I lost the hearing in my left ear. And if you come up on my left side and you start talking to me, I'm probably not even gonna hear you. I might hear some mumbling going on, particularly if I keep my hat on, kind of serves as a a little uh, amplifier for me. I, I might be able to discern that somebody's trying to talk to me, but most of the time I can't hear you. And if I don't think you're trying to talk to me, I want to hear a word you're saying. See, I have to first of all realize that you're trying to talk to me. And then when I focus on you, I can begin to hear what you say. But if I don't think you're talking to me, I'm not going to focus on you. I'm not going to hear. This is what happens a lot of times with people when they try to hear God. Number one, they don't think he's talking, so they're not even focused on it. But number two, when they focus, the second barrier kicks in, and that is, oh, I know what he wants to talk to me about. He wants to talk to me about all the times that I have screwed up. He wants to talk to me about all the mistakes I've made. He wants to talk to me about all the bad stuff I've done. He wants to talk to me about all the things he wants me to quit doing that I like to do. Now, if that's really what you think God is wanting to talk to you about, you ain't gonna listen to him, I'll guarantee you. Why would you? I don't want to listen to him. I'm afraid of what he's going to tell me. So I don't want to listen to him. You see, it's that fear of bondage that he warns us about in verse 15. He says, we have not been given the spirit of, or the, the spirit of the fear of bondage or again, spirit of bondage again to fear. I'll get it out in a minute. But the spirit of adoption We've not been given the spirit of bondage. Another reason we don't want to hear God is because we're afraid that he's going to tell us to do something we don't want to do. Either to stop doing something we like doing or to start doing something else we don't want to do. I remember an exercise I'll never forget. God put me through this years ago. I was just finishing up my schooling, my master's program, the Bible Dallas, Texas, and I began, it's about this time of year, and I began having this thought, this persistent thought come into my mind out of nowhere, and I realized that God speaks to us rationally through our own thinking, and I realized a lot of times he speaks to you through a persistent thought you can't get rid of. It just keeps coming back to you over and over again. You go to bed thinking about it, you wake up thinking about it, you go throughout your day, you thought you put it away, and here it is again. And I kept getting this persistent thought over and over again that God wanted me to go to the Amazon Basin and preach the gospel to the headhunting tribes. I was thinking that's what God was telling me to do. And it kept coming back again and again. And I wrestled with this thing for a week, every day. Because I didn't want to go to the Amazon Basin and preach the gospel to head hunting tribes. I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to be a, quote, missionary, a foreign missionary. That's not what I wanted to do. But I kept having this thought, God wants you to do this. This is what he's calling you to do. And I wrestled with this thing for a week. I'd put it out of my mind and come back. Finally, I told my wife, Sandy, about it said, you know, I think God's calling me to go to the Amazon basin, be a missionary to headhunting tribes. She promised to write me often, but she was not gonna go. And I thought, oh, good. Now I'm gonna be a divorced missionary to headhunting tribes. Now I'm gonna lose my wife. I was afraid that God was calling me to do something I didn't want to do. The spirit of bondage again to fear. Finally, after two weeks of misery, I told God one day, all right, I'll do it. Whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. You want me to go preach the gospel to a head-hunting tribe Amazon Basin, show me the way. I'll go. No matter what. No sooner had I agreed to do what I thought he'd called me to do, and I heard him say in my own mind, I don't want you to go there. I just want you to be willing to do whatever I call you to do. Because it's the best thing for you. Why? You've not been given the spirit of bondage again to fear but the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Daddy, a term of endearment, a family term for Father. Abba, Father. Now, hearing God, then, is not something to be afraid of. Hearing God talk to you is something to be looked forward to. The reason a lot of people don't hear God is because they're thinking God is going to berate them. I wonder where they get that idea. Hmm? Maybe they've gone to church and they've heard a guy who represents God pick up the Bible and beat him over the head with the thou shalts and the thou shalt nots, imposing and heaping guilt upon them. And they assumed because he was representing God, that that's how God talks to you. They assumed that God was going to preach against sin. And that's how he was going to talk to you. So they didn't want to hear it. What they don't realize is he's not been given the spirit of bondage again to fear, but the spirit of adoption. They don't realize what God really wants to talk to you about. He doesn't want to talk to you about what you're going to do. He didn't want to really talk to me about whether I was going to go to the head-hunting tribes in the Amazon basin or not. That's not what he wanted to talk to me about. He didn't want to talk to you about what you're going to do or what you're not going to do. He wants to talk to you about who you are, who he's made you to be. That's why he goes on in verse 16 to say, The Spirit itself." God's spirit bears witness with our spirit continuously that we are the child of God. What he wants to talk to you about is who he made you to be as a child of God. That's what he's dying to talk to you about. Waiting on that. This came crashing home to me when I adopted my daughter Angela years ago. We adopted her from Korea as a little infant, six months old, weighed 12 pounds. I could hold her in my arm like this. She was a little preemie, and I remember bringing her home. We had to go to Stapleton International Airport to get our baby. Most people go to the hospital. We went to the airport. We got our baby and brought her home. That entire first night I stayed up with her because she had her days and nights mixed up. Every other night after that I made Sandy stay up with her but I stayed up with her the first night because I was excited. I had a baby girl and I distinctly remember agonizing how I wish I could talk to her. I mean I could talk to her but she couldn't understand. She'd been raised in Korean foster homes for six months, only six months old So she couldn't really talk. English would have been out of the question for her. But that didn't stop me. Nope, I carried her around all night long. And I told her about her house. I said, this is your room. This is your bed. These are your toys. These are your dogs. This is your house. Pointed outside. That's your truck out there. I wanted her to know Everything I had was hers. Why? Because I adopted her. You have not been given the spirit of bondage again to fear, but the spirit of adoption. What God wants to talk to you about is who he's made you to be. How he has adopted you into his family. All the glorious things he's done for you. That's what's in his heart. That's what a father's heart is. A father's heart is for their children. He's not at all interested in what you gotta do for him. He could care less about that. See, when I had that little six-month-old girl in my arm, I wasn't worried about her cleaning up the house. I wasn't worried about her mowing the lawn. I wasn't worried about her going to work and contributing to the household. I wanted to tell her what I had for her. That's what I wanted to talk to her about. I wanted to tell her how much I loved her, how much I cared for her. You see, you've been adopted into God's family, and your Heavenly Father wants to tell you how much you mean to Him. Now the adoption process was rather grueling for Sandy and I. We spent some three or four months being studied by different groups, being approved by various agencies, and it cost us in the neighborhood of four or five thousand dollars by the time all was said and done to adopt this baby girl into our family. But that cost doesn't hold a candle to what your Heavenly Father paid to adopt you. He paid the most precious, valuable cost that ever be paid to adopt you into his family. That's what he wants to talk to you about. He didn't want to talk to you about what you're gonna do, what you need to quit doing, what you need to start doing. He's not at all interested in you in your behavior. He's just interested in you, your person. That's what he wants to talk to you about, you. So when you hear God, the very first thing you're going to hear is his love. Why? Because God is love. The very first thing that's going to be expressed to you is how much he cares for you, how much he loves you, what he's done for you. Unless you hear that, what you do or don't do is not going to matter anyhow. So what he's going to talk to you about is who he's made you to be step 11 we continue every day to improve our conscious contact with God what does that mean we're going to hear every day of the implication of the first three steps every day we're going to hear that God has made us a brand new person Every day we're going to hear that we are secure in His love and significant in His plan. Every day we're going to hear that our needs are met, that He has an eternal plan for our life. Likewise, every day we're going to hear what He's doing about our, quote, sin problem. You remember that pesky addiction you had? What is God doing about that? Remember how you prayed that He would, hum- you humbly prayed that He would remove. Those shortcomings? What's God doing about your stinking flesh? That sin problem. Every day you're going to see him work and hear him tell you how he's dealing with your flesh. You see, what you're hearing in that conscious contact, what you're doing when you improve that conscious contact is developing a personal relationship with God. He becomes your buddy. He becomes your friend. He becomes your confidant. He is everything to you because he satisfies your needs. He wants a relationship with you. So step 11 is nothing more than improving that conscious contact by hearing him. But then notice, we'll close with this, praying only, they said, for a knowledge of God's will and the power to carry it out in our life. Now here's another one of those pesky problems. That is knowing the will of God. I can't tell you how many people have agonized. Christian people, people I've known over the years, people have done the first three steps, which they've turned their will, and their life over to the care of God as they understood him. I said, what is God's will for my life? So let me give you just a quick suggestion or two about knowing the will of God for your life. The 11th step says, "Suggest we pray only for God's will in our life. I want what you want. In that model prayer, Jesus gave his disciples, remember? He included that. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth, even as it is in heaven. Praying for the will of God. Now, rather than agonize, like we do over whether we hear God or not, over the will of God, let me suggest this. Jesus put it this way. If any man wants to do my will, he'll do it. If any man wants to do the will of the Father, it's a done deal. You're going to do it. So here's the question. Do you want to do the will of God? If you want to do the will of God, you will. Why? Because God has ordered the steps of your life. He has preordained your life, has marked it out, has planned it. And you're going there because he's ordained it, whether you recognize it or not. Knowing the will of God is just simply being able to see how he is at work in your life, both to will and to do his good pleasure. So Jesus simplified it. He said, look, if you really want to do the will of God, you'll do it. So you can relax with the will of God here. Now to help, help you understand that a little better, a more personal and practical application of it, here's the will of God in a nutshell. The will of God, in a nutshell, is that you allow him to use you to be Christ to other people. You allow him to use you to care about other people, to love other people, to forgive other people. You allow him to work in you by his spirit, in his power, in his time, for his glory, to love other people. Simple, isn't it? That's the will of God. It's not a difficult thing. It's not something we have to hash out. Now, the way we make that difficult, and I'll just caution you on this, the way we make the will of God difficult is we wonder if it's his will whether we win the lotto or not. We wonder whether it's his will, whether I take this better job or not. We wonder not whether it's his will, whether I get out of this relationship or not. In other words, we're, we're trying to line up God's will with our will. But remember what we did in step three? Back here in step three? We turned what? Our will and our life over to the care of God. Okay, so we're going to be willing to do anything God wants us to do. So step 11, we're praying for the knowledge of his will. What do you want me to do to love other people? That's all. What do you want me to do? What do you want me to say? Where do you want me to go? Where do you want me to be to love other people and give me the grace and the strength to do it? That's step 11. So what are we doing really in step 11? Another way of describing it, I'll close with this, is all we're doing and step 11, is we're living out this lifestyle of recovery in the power and the strength of God supernaturally flowing through us to love other people. That's what we're doing. We get up in the morning. God's using us to love other people. We go throughout our day on our jobs, in our community, in our homes. What's he doing? He's flowing through us to love other people. That's really, in a nutshell, the ultimate goal of step 11. So you're loving other people just like Christ. And that brings us, of course, to the final step, step 12, and carrying the message to others we'll reserve for our next study. We'll quit here for tonight.
0: Thank you again for listening. If you want more access to Alpha Ministries teaching, you can like us on Facebook, subscribe to our YouTube channel, and visit our website. All times and dates for services and other events are on our website listed in the show notes.